0: But uh, let's go ahead and and go to God in prayer. Father and Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that we have this to study, that it can edify us, that it can give us assurance, that it can do so many things in our lives that uh, we don't even fully understand and grasp. But We know that we have this this foundation. We have this steady um, word of yours that we can always look to for guidance. Father and Lord, I pray that we would use it as such. That we would use it as the authority for our lives. I pray that uh, we would use it to comfort one another and to comfort ourselves with, with tough times and tough questions. And so, Father, pray. We pray now for this time of study. We pray, um, and we give you thanks for those who are with us, and, and pray for those who couldn't be with us for different uh, reasons. And uh, we pray for the services to follow. Follow, and it's our hope. It's our desire. That everything that we say and everything that we do brings you glory and honor. Amen. Amen. Okay. Romans chapter 2. We finished off last week uh, speaking about uh, um, God's name being blasphemed by um, the people of Israel. Remember Romans chapter 2, Paul is dealing with the... uh, uh, the, he's, He's talking about Jews. And so though the book of Romans is written to the body of Christ, it's written to the church that's up in Rome. Um, in chapter 1, he's made the case against uh, you know, the secular um, non-believer uh, in, in chapter 1, whereas in chapter 2, he's, he's dealing with the religion of, uh, of the Jews. Or, or it really, it can be applied to anybody who thinks themselves to be spiritual or religious and at the same time trying to establish their own righteousness, which we know from Scripture is what the Jews were trying to do. And obviously, as we talked about, Paul is, is, is leading to a point. God, who, who who is the author of this, is leading to a point, which as when we get to Romans chapter 3. The um, chapters 1 and 2 have proven uh, beyond any shadow of a doubt that if this was a uh, courtroom that Paul was trying this case, if he was an attorney um, trying this case, he is proving um, beyond the shadow of a doubt that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God, which means you're in bad shape if you don't have something to get you out of that mess. And so in, in Romans chapter 2, again, he's um, dealing with, uh, with Jews. And he makes this statement here in verse 24 that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. And this fact that it says as it is written tells us that Paul is making a comparison here to in the Old Testament where the Jews had done the same thing. And you can go to different places in the scripture. And we talked about um, Ezekiel 36 last week. I don't know that we went there. But well, we talked about it, and you can go to Ezekiel thirty six twenty in your own study. Um, but ultimately, um, what that is talking about is is whenever Israel was um, judged for their sins and they were sent into captivity, uh, they they proclaimed themselves to be God's people, and the name of God was blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because here they are saying that we're God's people, we're God's special people, you aren't, we are and so the Gentiles would blaspheme God's name unjustified they didn't have a right to blaspheme God's name that's not what it's saying, but the Gentiles would blaspheme God's name because of because of the Jews and here Paul is making the same case, especially those who want to deny the need for God's righteousness and want to establish their own righteousness that by 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 them suggesting that it can be of the law, but then not following the law, they themselves are once again blaspheming God. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the among the Gentiles through you as it is written. So that's what he's talking about here. And for us today, we need to understand that, just take a little sidestep away from that for a moment. Even the body of Christ today needs to understand um, that we have to represent God in the right way. Uh, we, whenever we do things the wrong way, when we represent God the wrong way, and then, you know, uh, you know, throw out our uh, body of Christ membership card to the to the world. Um, what does that cause them to do with with Christ, with God? Uh, that is. A bit of a, a bit of a problem. Turn with me to first Timothy, First Timothy chapter six verse one. we see Paul uses a couple of examples, but the point isn't so much the examples that I'm, I'm concerned concerned about here, uh, because I think that it it's not limited to these examples. The point being that, the things that we say, the things that we do, can cause others to blaspheme to God. First Timothy 6 one says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Not because they necessarily deserve it. Why? Right? No, it's because that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Now, why do you think that's, why, is the, why are the two related? Why is it when a servant doesn't treat their master with honor, how is that going to blaspheme the word of God? Well, mainly because God instructs people to do that. God instructs people to treat people with honor, treat people with respect. God doesn't condone the idea that just because you're a servant and you don't feel like you're paid well enough that you can go and steal from him, does he? He doesn't condone that kind of stuff. And so here, understanding that, you know, we don't want the doctrine of God to be blasphemed. And so we are accountable for our actions, just like what's being talked about here. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 5. Paul is in this chapter giving instruction. He's already given instruction to uh, aged women. Uh, do you notice the tact that, uh, that he, uh, he uses there? To the aged women, he's going to give instructions to other groups as well. Um, But here in verse 5, talking, he says, You know, that you're going to teach younger women to do certain things. One of those is to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. And so we have to understand it is important. Paul is making a point, a point to the Jews. Oh, okay, you who say that you have the covenant with God, you who say you are those special people, you who say that you, you have the law and all of these things, well, you're not living up to it, is his point. And so I, w- I would caution us as, as, as Christians today, even though Romans chapter 2 isn't talking about us, we ourselves, when we're looking for you know, application in our own lives, Paul does make mention numerous times about the fact that how we live our lives. I mean, everybody know what this month is, according to the secular world? Unfortunately, yes. Rainbows Rainbows abound, don't they? Yeah. And, and you know, what's sad about that is how many Christians or people who want to suggest that homosexuality and Christianity are, you know, okay to be, you know, they may not say that it's okay to be homosexual, but, hey, you know, what's wrong with loving one another, you know? And, And so we have to understand that, you know... When it comes down to it, really, as Christians, I'm not really too concerned concerned about what you think, and you really shouldn't be too concerned about what I think. We should be concerned about what God thinks. And so, when it comes to these issues, uh, when it comes to any of the any of the things that we need to apply in our lives, it's what God thinks on these matters. Did you have your hand up, Tim?
1: Um, no, but yes, I guess. I was a
0: prof. I was <laughs> prophesying there. I knew you. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: No, but, I mean, it's a shame Christians think more in those terms than what the sign of the rainbow really means. I know. there'll never be worldwide floods uh, again. That was Mm -hmm. God's promise to us. And uh, uh, clearly secular world doesn't know that, but even most Christians uh, forget that and think now it's a sign of
0: uh, uh, the gay community. Yep. And and the way I like to generally put it is, is when somebody wants to tout the the rainbow aspect of it for obviously the wrong reasons you know i just threw out there well thank you for for sharing with the world god's covenant promise regarding judgment and hopefully that'll get them to begin to think now it's true that he says through that that he's not going to flood the earth in judgment but we also know it isn't saying that there isn't a judgment day coming is there you know so it's going to come by fire instead is the way it's going to come so, so here in Romans 2, like I said, this idea of blaspheming God, um, it's not just for the nation of Israel, it's not just for Jews, it's for anybody who wants to call themselves um, of God, the true and living God. We, we need to take that to heart. And so that's why, you know, here at this church, we always teach, always have, I know before I was pastor, that the Bible is the authority for the word of, for, for our lives. It's not... It's not me. It's not what I think. I'm not going to rationalize in my head what I think to seem or use my experiences. You know, having faith in God isn't just okay. I'll have faith in you when it comes to my salvation. But then God go away. I'll figure the rest out. And so, Paul is is, is making this point to point to these people. And in the rest of this chapter, Paul is going to deal with circumcision, uh, and he's going to deal with it in two different senses. One being the idea of whenever the uncircumcision um, do the things of the law what that actually means towards the circumcision uh, and he's going to deal a little bit here with you know, the idea of well, who is actually a Jew and he later talks about the fact that not everybody who is of the land of Israel is Israel and so those are the things any questions before we move on to that okay Verse 25, he says, For circumcision verily profits, if thou keep the law. But if you be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Now, circumcision, as we know, began before the law, for one thing. We know that it actually began under promise um, with, with Abraham. And circumcision was a token and what is what is a token? Well, an, an, expression. an expression. Yeah, it's in this situation. It was a token of a relationship with God, and that's that's what it had to do with when it with Abraham was. You know, God was setting out with Abraham that he was going to do something. He made a covenant, and if you remember right, whenever it's instituted, uh, Abraham just gets done securing Lot. Going to get Lot free, and as as a result, he comes down and and he meets Melchizedek, and at the end of that, he basically asks God, you know, where is my heir? Where is my, you know, the person who's going to take over? All I have is my servant who isn't of my house. And it's then that God has institutes this covenant with Abraham, and it has to do with you're going to be mine. And he institutes this covenant relationship of of circumcision. So it was a token of a relationship with God. Later, it's going to be brought into the law under Moses. And the people of Israel, as part of their covenant relationship with God at Mount Sinai, they bring in the, the, the circumcision. So once again, it had to show that they were set aside for God. They are... You know, basically renouncing the things that the Gentiles stood for, renouncing even who they used to stand for, and they're associating themselves as God's people. And so, the circumcision was a sign, ultimately of, of who they um, um, who they said they were. It was a it, it spoke of their separation to God um, and their death to the flesh and the passions of the flesh is really what it what it, what it signified. In other words, I'm not going to be um, that individual anymore. I'm going to be and I'm going to belong to you. And, and again, even though it, it began before the Mosaic law, it became part of the law. And this is why you see that it's so rooted into the Mosaic law is because it is very much a part of it. Um, and, and this is why oftentimes you see circumcision in the law presented literally together. Almost as a synonym for the other one. Look at Acts 15 with me. Acts chapter 15. Acts 15 is, is um, Paul going back to Jerusalem. You can uh, read uh, a little bit uh, of the backstory in Galatians. But Paul goes back to Jerusalem because there are those who were of Jerusalem who were... Believers who came to Paul, where Paul was teaching, and said that unless you get circumcised, you can't be saved. Okay, And so here in Acts chapter 15, look at verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So circumcision had to do... um, Whenever it came to the, the nation of Israel If you didn't get circumcised Guess what, you were cut off From the people There was no ifs, ands, or buts as a, part, as a matter of fact, if you know the story with Moses you familiar with what happened with Moses Moses didn't uh, circumcise his son And his wife, Zipporah I think I said her name right She has to circumcise him because God places a death threat Now the question is Is it on Moses or on Moses' son? And it's because Moses didn't circumcise his son And so the idea of not getting circumcised was very much um, an important thing. But we know today you don't have to be circumcised. Well, guess what? Until Paul comes along, that wasn't the message. And so you had people come down from from Judea who were being taught under the 12 apostles. These weren't non-believers that came down to Paul, as some people want to say. These weren't, you know... The people that was trying to run Peter and the twelve out of town. No, these were the people who were learning under Peter and them. Okay? We know that because whenever you jump down further, look down here in verse 5. So here at this point, Paul and Barnabas are in Judea. They're in uh, Jerusalem and they're talking with the twelve. And it says, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees. What does it say? Which... Which believed. What is that believing? In other words, they were believers in Jesus as the Messiah. They were followers of the twelve. Saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so Paul was dealing with those who who still believed that circumcision was a requirement for salvation. And so here uh, in, in, in Romans chapter 2, uh, Paul is, is when he's associating this idea of circumcision. Um, you know, you have to understand that circumcision was such an integral part of, of Judaism that you couldn't belong to Judaism without circumcision. You just it just couldn't you couldn't do it. But with us, look at Galatians, Galatians chapter five, and this is really a very consistent message here in Galatians five that Paul is going to finish Romans 2 with. And that is the idea that, okay, if you're going to put yourself under the yoke and bondage of the law and circumcision, then you put yourself under the whole thing. Galatians five three says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Now, we know today that um, we, don't, we don't have to follow the law. But again, that was that was revealed later. That was revealed to the Apostle Paul. It was not revealed um, um, to the twelve, which is why in, in Acts chapter fifteen you find them um, having to stop and consider: Well, do the Gentiles have to follow law? Because they didn't know any better. So, but here in Romans two again, uh, in in verse twenty five, whenever he says that that circumcision truly profits. If you keep the law, now let me ask you a question: How many people ever lived kept the law? Christ. 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 Yeah. So, so no, no, fully. Uh, I don't want to say it that way. No, nobody except Christ.
2: Mike. Uh, in Galatians five, what verse was that? I missed it. Somehow. Three. Three okay. hundred mm-hmm.
0: and. Mm-hmm. So under the covenant. Um, Situations which we're not. Ephesians makes that clear that our, as Gentiles, um, we're we're not. Matter of fact, anybody today, a Jew today. If you went to (coughs) Israel today, or if you went to New York, or whatever, and you you converted somebody, and I hate even saying it that way, if you shared the gospel with somebody that was a Jew and they became a believer, they weren't saved based on covenants were they? Because in this day of grace, it's not based on a covenant. And so, you know, whenever whenever we have the situation that prior to this day of grace, it was a covenant situation, it was the law situation, and you had a circumcision, which was a token of your relationship with God. It was a token of the law, a token of the, the commitment uh, between God and you and you to God. And so that situation meant you were a debtor to the whole law. That is absolutely consistent with everything that you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's... Exactly Consistent with what you see What Peter's later writings and John Later's writing says because John makes The point that if you say you love Christ And you don't do his commandments you're a liar And so keep That in mind that uh, it was Required it seems
2: to me That this uh, I guess uh, Judaizing Of salvation is almost a natural thing for Christians who have been saved under the kingdom law because there wasn't like there wasn't a way to send out messages to everybody back then that hey wait a minute there's a new law and, you know they they have heard that here here's Paul down here working with the Gentiles and their assumption is because their salvation was based upon Works as, as well as faith that that would be the assumption that they would have for Gentile believers until this thing in Jerusalem happened. Right. I mean, it seems like that's a natural. It would be. That would be a natural thing, and there's you can't send out emails to everybody. No. Nope. Tell them on TV that it's changed. Sure. So it has to happen. Because if now. they had Facebook, they would have got and blocked anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. right? But it's a mechanism that, that that has to sort of take place so that people understand
0: Sure, and it's because that ministry was given to the apostle Paul to reveal it was given to him to preach it He was given to Moses to speak concerning the law, it was given Peter to speak concerning the kingdom and it was given to Paul to speak concerning the mystery Is there, it really isn't you know, controversial, although we make it controversial because it goes against our traditions, well you better pick which ones are most important to you Traditions or what the Bible says, and so yes, they there was confusion because they didn't understand. Um, it, it, but the great thing is, is that that Peter acknowledges that he didn't understand. And, and 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 I don't want to spend much time on this, but that your point, the fact that they they didn't understand until this Jerusalem Council, which is why it's called the Jerusalem Council, by the way, uh, they didn't understand it um, until Paul comes along. That explains why Peter baptizes water baptizes Cornelius, because had Peter been told to do anything different, no. Of course, he's going to water baptize him because he he hasn't been told to do anything, and so. But if you pay close attention to what happened there, uh, very remarkable change. But Genesis seventeen, let's read verse fourteen, and then I'm going to jump over to Leviticus. What what you have to understand is 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 that this covenant situation. With Israel, and if you willfully broke God's covenant, you could be cut off uh, from the people of Israel. The pe- meaning, the people of Israel could be cut off um, even with this covenant uh, of, of circumcision. So, Genesis seventeen fourteen. Here uh, again, this is the chapter in which um, God gives Abram uh, Abraham the uh, covenant of circumcision. In verse fourteen, it says. And the uncircumcised circumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So one, you understand that um, why Jews would take it very serious um, because it was expected that if you didn't get circumcised, you didn't get to partake in God's covenant situation. But also, if a, if a Jew even if he was circumcised and willfully continued to sin or decide that he knew what the truth was or just flat out rejected the truth, he could also be cut off. Look at Leviticus 26, verse 14. Now, Leviticus 26, um, I I really wish I had a chance to read this whole chapter to you, especially beginning on verse 14. all the way through because God is going to lay out some serious punishments to the people of Israel if they don't follow through and do what they're supposed to. So
1: why did Moses not circumcise his
0: son? Doesn't say. Uh, it's, almost as if, it's, it's almost as if he... he uh, keep in mind, his son wasn't with him during whenever he received the commandments. His wife and his father-in-law came later. And so the... You know, the reason for it, you know, who, who knows? And he certainly didn't circumcise him whenever he was in Midian as, as uh, before he actually left to go to Egypt. Doesn't really say why. You know, all we know is is that he didn't do it. And you get this little blurb in there. It's almost like it's interjected. And and, and God says, you know, that there's going to be a death as a result of it. And so Zipporah, um, I hope I'm saying her name right, um, she takes care of it, and she calls him a bloody husband. You are to me because of your God, and because she ended up having to circumcise her son. So, one of those questions, I guess, we'll have to ask Moses, huh? But here in twenty-six, Leviticus twenty-six, like I said, you see that whenever somebody sins, just above this, God deals with those who sin um, unknowingly. You know, here in the United States, you know, we have laws that if somebody commits a crime unknowingly, they're going to get punished but not the same way as if you know they purposefully decided to murder somebody. you know you commit you know manslaughter it's a little bit different. Well God had a, a, a system that was similar. but in verse 14 he says, "But if you will not hearken unto me, in other words, if you don't listen to what I say and will not do these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes or if your soul shall abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror. And he begins to to, to list all of these things. Um, um, and The burning argue, argue and, and that you shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of the heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, and your enemies shall eat you. I'll set my face against you. I'll give your wives to other people. I mean, it just... Serious, serious stuff. And so if somebody was in that circumcision relationship with God, but didn't do what God said, God had the right to say, I'm cutting you off. And and you have to understand that. Just because they went and got circumcised didn't mean God is now obligated that he can never judge them for their sin. And that's the way the Jews were living. In Paul's day. That's what Paul is fighting in in Romans chapter 2. Those who say that I'm from Abraham, therefore I'm righteous. And that is one of the things God is trying to deal with, is the Jew at that time who thought that their righteousness was of the law and of themselves. And God was showing them, no, the law wasn't going to save you. The law was going to show you that you're a sinner and you need my righteousness. And so keep in mind that a Jew... Uh, who continually transgressed God's law um, or didn't hearken unto him. And so when God sends um, Jesus, who was a prophet, uh, he was obviously God himself. But remember, Moses said that God's going to send a man like unto me. Him you better listen to. So when they don't listen to him, they didn't hearken unto God, which means they broke the covenant there. And so God could cast them away. God could set them aside. God could uh, basically, uh, set them aside, like I said. Um, and so, a Jew who tr- continually transgressed uh, God's law, uh, un- know this in simplest terms if a Jew continually transgressed God's law or didn't hearken unto him, he had no more of a saving relationship. And listen carefully the Jew who continually rejected God in God's Um, teaching and God's instruction that Jew on an individual basis had no more of a uh, uh, saving relationship with God than the Gentile did and that's what Paul's message is you can't just rest in your circumcision you can't just rest in that that's God's been his consistent message all along you have to understand and we'll talk more about this um, either later today or, or some other time uh, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to Israel, you have to understand there's two different types. There's national salvation, meaning all of Israel shall be saved. Now, do you honestly think that when God says all of Israel shall be saved, that means every single person that was born after Abraham who was circumcised, he had no he could no longer judge them for their sin? Of course not. That's why he says not all of, who not all Israel or those of Israel are Israel. In other words, being born in Judea, being born in the nation of Israel, being circumcised, that doesn't make you true Israel. What makes you true Israel is when you follow the covenant. So you have to understand all of these things. Matter of fact, since we're going back to Romans, look at Romans 9. Romans 9, verse 6. Remember Romans 9, 10, and 11. Paul once again is picking up the issue of the nation of Israel. And in um, Romans 9, verse 6, he says, Not as though the word of God has taken on effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. And that's the point. And that's the point that is that, you know, not everybody who is going to the temple, not everybody who is circumcised is truly Israel. And so... God could uh, basically judge and he could uh, put aside those who who, um, wish to uh, um, disregard his his idea that uh, you have to um, seek God's righteousness. And so whereas in Romans 9, 6, he makes that point, and the rest of these verses in Romans chapter 2, Paul makes the same point, that, that, that not everybody who is in Israel, um, is Israel. And that's what his points are in verse 28 and 29. 26, though, we'll pick up here in verse 26 because we have an important point here. And that is, is talking about the Gentile who submits to the law. He says, <clears throat> Romans 2.26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision, which is obviously Gentile, if the Gentiles keep the righteousness of the law shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision and shall not uncircumcision which is by nature if it fulfill the law judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law Um, in short basically um, is, is the idea here that is keep in mind a Gentile couldn't perfectly keep the law but under the law situation a Gentile wasn't obligated to uh, make sacrifices, but they were obligated to to understand God's uh, special uh, place for the nation of Israel. They did have to understand that they were subservient to the nation of Israel. They had to come in underneath Israel. And so when a Gentile who didn't have the law, didn't have uncircumcision, that they they set out to to follow the law, they themselves, because of their actions, judged Israel itself now
2: um, turn with me to Matthew you're not, you're not saying that a Gentile who becomes a Jew doesn't have to offer sacrifices right you're saying that a Gentile in general
0: correct okay. I'm, I'm saying a Gentile um, like we see here in, in Matthew um, we see a couple of them in the gospels you saw it with Cornelius in Acts chapter 2 uh, one of these things that people have in common, keep in mind, why does Christ say, I've come only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Was that a trick statement? Or did he mean that he came only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? That's who he came to. That's who he came to. Romans says he was a minister of the circumcision. He was under the law, made of a woman, under the law, and he fouled the law. And in Matthew chapter 15 here, look at uh, verse 21, which if you're taking notes, you have the um, same, same story, the same event told in Mark 7. But here in Matthew 15, starting in verse 21, we have the story of the Syrophoenician woman. And this is a Gentile. Okay, This isn't a proselyte. This is a Gentile. And so, let's pick up the story. Matthew fifteen twenty one says, Then Jesus went there and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, the woman of Canaan came out to, of the same coast. Like I said, you go to Mark 7 and you see that she's a Syrophoenician woman, which means she's a Gentile. And she cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Notice that she confirms who he is. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. Now, most will get this story wrong what's going on here the reason for his refusal to to acknowledge her the reason for his refusal at first to give give her what she wants is is not because he was one busy but because of she has to recognize and she has to understand how the law works well she's going to so verse 24 but he answered and said i am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Notice his response. And he answered and said, It is not meat. It's not fair to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, True. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Well, why is her faith great? Well, let me give you a hint. Her faith is great is because she understood the process. She understood how the law worked. The way the law worked was, was God was going to bless the nation of Israel, and through their blessing, the Gentiles would be blessed. That's what's different about today's day and age. Your blessing doesn't come because God blessed Israel. That's not how... But under the law, under the covenant situation, the way for a Gentile to receive blessing from God is whenever they came in underneath the nation of Israel. And so here he, he, he marvels. Matter of fact, when you have the Roman, the Roman centurion who says, will you, will you heal my, my servant? And, he's, and, and, and what, is, what, is Jesus, what does Jesus do? He marvels at the fact that this guy understood that Jesus didn't even, even have to come to his house. So understanding here, this, this Syrophoenician woman, whenever when she comes to him and she says that sure that um, you know, but the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the children's table, she understands how the program under Israel was supposed to work. Well, how does that all relate to what we we're just reading in Romans chapter two? Well, that's what Romans is talking here, is, is that, that when the Gentiles try to obey the law, and the law for the Gentile was, you come to me only through Israel, today, you disobey God if you try to come to him through sacraments, right? You disobey God if you try to come to him based on your righteousness. The only way you get to come to God today is through Jesus Christ, right? Well, guess what? In Whenever God was dealing with the nation of Israel, there was only one way for a Gentile to get to God. And that was through his priests. Matter of fact, just to drive it home even more, if you were a member of the nation of Israel and you wanted to approach God, you yourself couldn't do it because you had to go to a priest of the nation of Israel to do it, didn't you? And so understanding that God has always determined the bounds in which people could come to him. um, And in Romans chapter 2, what he's talking about here is when the Gentile does the law, again, they didn't have to do sacrifices. They didn't have to, to do the Sabbath. They weren't required to do that. But if you go back to the very beginning Whenever God calls Abram, it's, I will bless those that bless you, Abraham. So the consistency has to do with um, with that aspect. And in the rest of these chapters here, verse 27 through 29, it says, And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. So the words... That those who transgress the law, those who say they have the law, when they transgress the law, when you have these others who are, even the Gentiles, who are coming in underneath um, and required to, their actions judge you, is what he's saying to them. And that's why he says in, in verse 29, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so what you see is right back to verse 13 of Romans chapter 2. What's his point? For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. And he's talking to the people of Israel. He's talking to the Jew. He's saying that you don't get to rest in your circumcision. If you're gonna to proclaim to the world that you're that you're you have this covenant relationship that you're the law, as James says, well you better be doing it, all of it, hundred percent. Which they couldn't and still deny Jesus, could they? No. They couldn't and still deny Jesus. So Tim.
1: Just how much of Christianity today believe that the reason were able to be saved is due to the blessings of Israel I mean uh, it's almost universal that they feel that way and which is why Christianity mm-hmm. supports Israel uh, like they do and it's um, really as you said it has nothing to do with that at all
0: right yeah and and, and it's it's important when it comes to all these things that we understand. Um, many people, I guess, support Christians support Israel for different reasons. Uh, I support Israel, but different from um, the reasons many Christians have. You see, um, you see these different um, commercials out there for donating money to the people of Israel, and they try to they try to post uh, references to scripture that's that's says we're obligated to. Um, and we should support Israel, but not for the reasons in, in which the um, in the past they had to. If you didn't bless Israel, remember whenever you get into Cornelius and you get into these other people, uh, these these were Romans that that blessed Israel by even building them synagogues. Why do you think God blessed them by making sure they received the truth? Because God made a promise, and he was keeping his promise. And so... blessing Israel I think we should but uh, did you agree?
1: but his his promise has been set aside for this dispensation Right, and so
0: the idea of blessing Israel to me is is not about any promise or anything like that to me uh, I do it because even though it's not based on a promise we know that again when we read the book of Romans uh, that even though Israel has been set aside that God still has a plan with the nation of Israel and he still loves um, for the father's sake and we, he know that, we know that he loves his own name Israel has the name of God built into their name El, God so um, so to me it's, it's about that but many think that there's an obligation like somehow if we don't that somehow we've, uh, uh, we're not going to be blessed it doesn't work that way today if you don't bless Israel it's not going to affect your standing with God that's just the way it is today because guess what there is no Israel today
2: Throws out, blows away what I was going to say, <laughs> because it looks to me like prophecy, and it also contradicts what you said a little bit ago that you support Israel today, even though there is no Israel to support.
0: It doesn't contradict, and I'll explain why. Because the Israel, the Israel that God has a relationship with, doesn't exist, and so the Israel I support today would be kind of like me supporting Canada. Um, I, I tend to support those that are getting bullied for. For very bad reasons. And um, I do know that the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any point. There's nothing that has to take place. People are always looking at these end times. Oh, you know, is this going to happen so we know the end time? Well, guess what? There's nothing that, that has to happen according to Scripture for the Lord's return. Um, there, there's, there's not some prophecy that you can look for. And so because of that, I don't know if the people in Israel today who are there right now aren't going to be that Israel in the first part of the book of Revelation, they may be. And, and they may be, and so that for that reason in itself, you won't see me.
2: But it seems to me like it, it is not inappropriate to say that I would I support Israel because they're God's chosen people, and you're saying that they don't exist today. Well, in a sense, they don't. In the fact that there's no difference between you and. Gentile today but there is a nation of Israel over there that they would claim to be God's people and I would see the potential of them being God's people in the tribulation I mean, haven't troubled <laughs> is is I said though uh, if I can
1: just say right now it's a nation of individuals in the future it will be a collective nation uh, as one when, uh, when we get raptured and then uh, revelation occurs. I th- I, I,
0: I, yes, but I think that the biggest thing that maybe helps clear, you, clear your mind is keep in mind uh, Judaism is the religion. Israel is the nationality. Okay, Israel as a nation amongst men exists, but not in God's eyes. Because Israel, in God's eyes, is those who are Jews. Okay, And God is not dealing with Jews today. Which is why you hear me say over and over again, you're either in Christ or you're in Adam. I don't care if you're from Canada or if you're from Jerusalem. If you're not in Christ, you are in Adam. So whether you're uh, uh, somebody who is a Jew, I don't care if you've got the long beard, if you're wailing the wailing wall, there is no difference in God's eyes between that person and the person who lives in Australia, the person who lives whatever, The moment that changes is when the rapture happens. That's when that changes again. That's because God will begin to deal with that nation of Israel again. And we also know that from that group that call themselves Israel, not all of them are whom God considers Israel. God considers Israel not those who are born in the nation who has an ancestor from that way. God considers the nation of Israel those who are Jews Yeah,
2: this is verse 26 therefore if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision Mm -hmm. and what we're talking about there is whether we qualify to be accepted by God basically isn't that what we're saying there? Because we have the circumcision of the heart, which makes which which God does when we when we accept him by faith. I mean it looks to me like what what's being said here is that if if the man who is uncircumcised, i.e. a gentile is what they're referring to here, mm-hmm. acts like someone who is circumcised. Then is not his uncircumcision counted as circumcision? Is not his, the fact that he's a Gentile, keep him from being counted as one of God's, basically? It's how I read that. But maybe I'm reading it wrong.
0: Well, what, what I'm explaining here is, is that Paul is using a couple of things here. He's using the point, he talks about the idea if, a, if somebody who is an uncircumcision keeps the law. Well, the law for the uncircumcision was understanding their place. Again, they didn't have the Sabbath. They didn't have. You couldn't be. Give you an example. I don't. I, I, before, for the dispensation of grace began. So, let's just say in in Pentecost, or let's say even in Jesus' earthly ministry, um, you couldn't as a Gentile um, keep the law without understanding who you were in, in relationship to the nation of Israel. You know, you couldn't, for one thing, it was unlawful. You wouldn't be allowed to make a sacrifice. So what is he talking about when he talk, talks about here, that uh, therefore the circumcision keep the righteousness of the law? Well, what is the righteousness of the law for the uncircumcision? What is it for them? It isn't by, you know, some, somehow, it's not even loving God. The only way that you could be right with God as a Gentile in those day and age is if you came to God through the nation of Israel. That was the only way you could do it. There was no, there was no ifs ands or buts about it. So now remember, I'll come back to
2: you. Uh, remember, the temple was still operating and functioning at the time of these writings.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And so again, for the for the Gentile, you, what what Paul here is talking about here. Is is, he's again? He's he's addressing that Jew that, that is denying the idea that they need God's righteousness because they feel as though they have the righteousness of the law. That's what these. That's who he's dealing with here: is those who think that they have the righteousness of the law. And Paul is using the idea that even the uncircumcision, when they perform the righteousness of the law, that judges Israel. That's what it's talking about here. So, and that's what twenty six through twenty nine is talking about. Um, and that's why he says in verses twenty eight and twenty nine that you're not a Jew if you do it if it's in an outward way. Um, many people want to suggest that somehow um, circumcision uh, was replaced by water baptism, and that's not the case at all. Um, circumcision has to do with again the people of God who. Who, who who identify with God and so is there a spiritual aspect of circumcision yes and, and there is an aspect of that but only in the ways in which God ordains we can't just somehow twist it into something ourselves and make it into something that God doesn't make it into so
2: to me I mean I thought I understood this passage before today mm-hmm. <laughs> now it's about as clear as mud to me but but it looks to me like when Paul's writing this Israel still exists is that true or not true? yes because it was a transition ok so he's saying to individuals if it's a Gentile right now in this time period who acts like a Jew isn't his uncircumcision counted as circumcision mhm Yes,
0: which is which so, is exactly what twenty six says. So to
2: throw in here that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile at this point sort of s- screws up how you look at this passage. I think
0: it doesn't to me um, because to me, again, messed stuff pretty good right now. Because keep in mind uh, that understanding that no Jew and Gentile is already in effect at this point, but it's kind of like when you're writing a writing a letter to somebody, if you've not writ, written written the end of the letter, uh-huh. just because you haven't read it yet, it was already written. See what I'm saying? The truths later in Romans are already established, Just but just because you've only read through verses or chapter 2, doesn't mean that they're not in effect yet. And we see, again, as, as Paul is going to say, turn there, look at the end of Romans, Romans chapter 16. And so you can apply Romans 16 as in, in effect whenever Romans 1 is written. Start in uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him, it is a power to establish you according to my gospel. What is Paul's gospel? Well, that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. That you're saved by Grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's going to establish according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. Um, and so, yes, in Romans chapter 2, it's not only is it consistent to say that there, uh, the idea that there is no Jew and Gentile, that's in effect at this point. But there is a transition as it relates to... <coughs> Whenever God is is completely done dealing with the uh, Peter and the other apostles, so well, Tim
1: and then going into Romans four, mm-hmm. uh, Paul goes to great lengths to explain about uh, the circumcised and uncircumcised and ask the question: Was Abraham um, circumcised when he was um, through faith? Um, he was under the promise for the for righteousness and said no he was not uh, circumcised so they i mean that uh, clearly is uh trying to bridge that gap i believe
0: sure and in, in romans chapter five talks about our justification by faith that's how we have peace and so yeah those things are in, in, in effect in romans chapter two but there is a transition which you have to understand in which you know, the people who are under the law, under that situation, Peter and them, they're still alive. Uh, and so there is that transition. But here in Romans 2, the end of what's, all of Romans 2, Paul, Paul is addressing the Jew, and he's trying to show them that their, their need for God's righteousness. And so he's pointing out to him at the end, it, it really is no more complicated than this. And that is the idea that you cannot be righteous, call yourself righteous from the law without fulfilling the law. And those who are of the uncircumcision, whenever they fulfill the, the righteousness of the law, that in itself convicts you. So they are convicted, the Jew who thinks that they can rest in the law. Uh, because ultimately we know his point, his, his point um, is found here in, in Romans, uh, Romans chapter three, and that all are, all are guilty, and that's his, that's his ultimate point. Any other comments? All right.